Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians 13. That's near the very end of that book. If you want to turn there with me. and For those of you that have not been with us over the last couple of weeks, let me, let me share with you what we're doing because we're kind of in a series of messages. And that series of messages is asking the question, why church? Why, why come to church? Why does it even matter that we come together for worship on Sunday morning? Um, we can, can't we just be a Christian and not attend church? Um, can, I, can I just watch online or there's this constant stream of messages and preachers on YouTube, why does it matter if I come to church on Sunday morning? And so we're just examining that. We, we started by identifying the church. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is an assembly of God's people who are committed to him and committed to each other. And if that's the church, then this idea that, um, that this building that we're in, this is just the place where we meet, that, that we, the people, are the church. We have been... Th- after that, we started like answering the question, why church? And every sermon title is, kind of, is going to kind of answer that question, be an, an answer to the question, why church? And last week, we thought about like in relation to God, like in relation to God, why church? Well, to exalt the Lord, that the Bible calls us, in fact, commands us in Hebrews 10, 25, together for corporate worship, for us to gather together, assemble together, and to exalt the Lord together, that when we come together in this place, It's not about us singing and me preaching and you listening. That's not what's going on here. God is being lifted up. Like we want to exalt him. All of our songs should point to Jesus. We should read his word and everything should lift Jesus up. And by doing so, we see the greatness and the glory of God and we recognize that that's not us. We we see that that we are not as, as holy. We're not like him. And so we... We, we look to him, and he's exalted, and then he calls us to change, which is a great segue to what we're talking about today. If last week is in relation to God himself, why church is related to you? Like Why, why, you, why should you come to church, right? And the answer to, today's, um, to that question today is to examine ourselves. Why church? To exalt the Lord, to examine ourselves. It's just really important that we note that when we come to a local church, when we are a part of it, when we're actively participating, we're inviting this family relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ to hold us accountable, and we're looking to God's Word to hold us accountable. Why should we come to church? Well, and partly to examine ourselves. You know, nobody really likes tests. You know, if you were to say, like if you were to talk about a test, If I were to say, okay, everybody, pop quiz, get a piece of paper out and a pencil. Nobody likes that. But tests are a part of our life all the time. I mean, they're a constant part of our life, right? We're born, and then what do they do? They keep taking us back every few months for a checkup, right? We go for a six-month checkup or whatever, right? I don't know all the dates that you have when you take the baby to the doctor, because Amy did a lot of that. But the idea is that you go back for the checkup. And they take you and, they, and they're observing. They're looking at that child. And they're saying, okay, this child is developing the way it should. 
uh, this child is not developing in this area. And, and in those first few months of life, you can diagnose some problems that occur, right? Noah had one of those issues at one of those che- where they were looking at his weight, right? And some of you will remember that story. But the idea is, is that, that when, when we go as a, as a, when we take babies and they're doing a checkup, they're testing that baby and kind of looking to see, is this baby developing the way that it should? That baby grows up, heads off to elementary school. Then you have to take tests, right? Spelling tests on Fridays, remember those? Multiplication tables, remember those? How about that map where you have to write in all the countries on that? Remember those kind of tests? How about you get your number two pencil and you eat a good breakfast and you fill in those bubbles? Remember those tests? And all those tests, what they're doing is they're saying, they're showing, are you comprehending, are you are you, a, are you t- retaining what has been taught in the class? And if you think about it, those tests not only test the students, but in some ways those tests test the teacher. If everybody in the class misses question four, what does that probably say? As a teacher, it wasn't clearly explained, it wasn't clearly covered, it wasn't, right? It's a test. And it's saying, have you retained, are you able to retain what has been taught? Have you picked up on the concepts that, have, um, that, that you've learned? Some people, even this week, may have taken a driver's test. And maybe they killed a mailbox <laughs> and ran off the road. Maybe. Maybe. Not pointing any fingers. I'm just saying maybe. We take that test, the written test, to get our learners, and we go and we drive, and that test is applying the knowledge. Oh, it's not Joseph. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Joseph. (laughs) Sorry, Joseph. (laughs) Let me write you out. Yeah, yeah, she's got it. Um, This idea that that we uh, we go and we take that that driven test, and what we're doing is we're saying that that we can take this stuff that we know and we can apply it, right? And we're able to safely operate this motor vehicle. We have enough experience driving this car, hopefully, that we're not going to kill somebody when we get out on the road with it, right? And we test with that. It's, a, it's kind of a rite of passage for, for most people, right? How about when you get older and you go to the doctor and they put you on that treadmill and they test you? They, they take your blood pressure or they, um, you know, they, they put you on a scale or they do a scan of your body. You have a test. And they test whether, whether your heart's working properly as it should. Or, or they test whether, whether your gallbladder's doing what it's supposed to do. They test whether you're, whatever's going on inside you, they're able to run those tests and find out, figure it out, and then give you some kind of path going forward. Is it surgery? Is it that you're changing your diet? Do we need to put you on this kind of medicine? And we do those tests because if we have stuff come up with our health, we want, we want to know what's going on with us, right? We don't like tests, but they're a part of life. And those tests that I just mentioned, none of those tests are for our bad. They're for our good. 
Those tests are telling us, are we maturing as we should? Are we growing? Are we learning? Are we developing? Are we able to apply what we know? Are we healthy? Are we unhealthy? And when we come to church and we open God's Word and we study it together, you see, if I do that on my own without careful self-examination, I can lie to myself. I can tell myself that I'm healthy when I'm not. I can tell myself that I'm learning when I'm not. I can tell myself a lot of things that are not true, but when I'm confronted with the explicit Word of God, and the Holy Spirit then speaks to my heart, change comes. Why do we gather for corporate worship? We do it to examine ourselves. You see, if we, even if we did not look at ourselves, if we did not even think about what was going on within us in our spiritual walks to whether it was healthy or not as we, as we just lived throughout the week, even if we never did that another time of the week and we only did it every seven days, that would be a rarity for most people in this world. Most people that we live around and we work with, I talk about it with the guys at the school all the time, very few people take time to introspectively look at themselves, examine themselves, see where they honestly are and where they should be and where they want to be. We don't do that. Not near enough. But when we gather for corporate worship, we're exalting the Lord in order that we might examine ourselves and see who he is and who we're not and who we should be. That's the call of the verse that we'll read today. It is really one verse in 2 Corinthians 13. Let's read verse 5 together and then we'll dive into it. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Examine yourselves. I want to tell you a few things today about this examination. I want us to to, to describe and look at this examination that we find in this verse today because it's really important that all of us have that kind of examination in our hearts when we come to this house for worship. First thing I would tell you about this examination as we find it in the text is it is an imperative examination. Did you notice in this text, it is not a suggestion? If you have time and if you feel like it, why not take a look at yourself so you can be a better you? That's not what the verse says. The verse is a command. Examine yourself. Test yourself. It's it's given multiple times in the verse. This command that we see is not a suggestion. And it's important because we're just reading one verse that I give you a little context as to why Paul is writing it. If you're unfamiliar with the church at Corinth, let me give you a little info. The church at Corinth, all of these epistles that you find in the New Testament here, these are letters. So this was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. And those Corinthian believers, he, he wrote one letter to them, 1 Corinthians, and he wrote that first letter to them because Paul had heard lots of bad things about the church at Corinth. They were not a good church. Lots of bad things were happening at Corinth. They fought amongst themselves. They were suing each other. There was lots of immorality. One guy was sleeping with his stepmother. There was little cliques and like divisions within the church. They would exclude certain people. They had different views and arguments about marriage and divorce. Some people thought it was better if you, if you were going to follow Christ, you didn't need a spouse to distract you. If you, were, if you were married and then you followed Christ, you should divorce your spouse. And there were other people that thought, no, 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 no. 
no, you should, you, should, you should be married. You have to be married because traditionally Jews are married. And so this is God's design. So you have to be married if you're going to be. They just had lots of warped ideas that really weren't biblical or, or you know. And Paul writes them. He says, look, I'm hearing all these things about you, and this is not good, guys. And he addresses a lot of those problems. Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but sometimes when you call people out on things, they get upset. That's what had happened. Paul wrote this letter to him. He said, this is how you're behaving, but this is not how you should behave. And some people got upset. So in between these two letters, a lot of those people began to like attack Paul. They didn't necessarily argue with Paul what Paul had to say, but what they said was, Paul's a sham. Don't listen to him. He's just in it for the money. He, he's uh, egotistical. You know, he's, he's this egomaniac. Why would you listen? So they begin to try to discredit his ministry so that what he had written in the letter would have no weight and they could feel justified to maybe continue doing what they were doing. When Paul writes his second letter back, this book, 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of talk of him like defending that ministry and a lot of talk about this idea of, look, I'm not, it's not about me pleasing men. I'm not saying these things to please men. My, my aim and my objective is about pleasing God. That's really what it's about for me, right? Time out. If you're here this morning and you think that I'm asking you to examine yourself so that I will be pleased with you, you've missed the mark. If you think that I'm asking you to examine yourself so that you meet some kind of standard to be a part of this church or to, to be a good Christian, you've missed the mark. If you think I'm asking you to examine yourself so that you can look at yourself in the mirror and feel better about it, that you like the person that you are, mm -mm, that's not why I'm asking you to examine yourself. The reason the text asks us to examine ourselves is we need to make sure is everything right between us and God, period. The rest will work itself out. And when Paul writes this letter, here's what Paul's concern is. Genuine, I believe he's genuinely concerned about this. If I'm writing you and I'm pointing you to the scriptures and I'm saying according to the scriptures, you're wrong here, here, and here, and that doesn't concern you, that I'm directing you to the scripture over and over again and it doesn't affect you, that's the mark not of a person who's saved. That's the mark of a person who's not and so when Paul gets to the end of this letter, he's going to them and he's saying, look, it is imperative, it is really important that if you are going to continue behaving this way, that's not who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is different than that. And so if this is how you behave, you either need to begin to behave as you really are or your behavior may be telling you who you really are. Notice what he says in the text. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. That's a command. Test yourselves. Why? Well, don't worry about this test. Don't be scared of this test like you would a pop quiz or get nervous and upset. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? So when tested, if you're in the faith, Christ is, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And when Paul writes that last phrase, I don't think Paul is writing it like, and some of you, some of you are probably not Christians at all. And shame on you. I don't think that's really the, the idea there. What he's getting at is if you examine your life and you find that things are not right with Christ, Paul was not trying to kick somebody while they were down. What Paul was saying was turn to Christ. That's the answer. Turn to Christ. R look to him. No matter what you're saying about me from over there, no, I'm not taking that personally because I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God. But there's a bigger issue at play here. And if you're not right with God, you need to get that settled. That's a big deal. So examine yourself. Test yourself. 
to see if you're in the faith, to make sure that Christ is in you. And if he's not, turn to him. Turn to him. This is an imperative test that Paul is giving. And this is a test that all of us, when we come into God's house, when we look to God's word, all of us should be asking ourselves these things. On a regular basis, we should look and we should say, am I a believer? Is my faith in Christ genuine? Did I make a decision because somebody else did? Did I feel compelled that it was just the right thing to do? Or, or do I really know Christ? Because listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, but you have been a, a member of this church and professed to know him for 50 years, what's the better outcome? To continue living in that denial, not knowing Christ, it being a charade, and die and go to hell? Or, or, to repent and turn to him. There's no judgment in this room in that. And make things right with him and everything from then on be this life in Christ. And when death comes, it's not death. We're alive with him forever in eternity, right? The idea is to test ourselves See, and the Bible commands us to do this over and over again. It tells us these places where we can look to Scripture and we can see these almost like characteristics, these traits, these places where we're called to examine ourselves. What about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, right? Where, right? Uh, where we're to look to those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, or these things you. Is the Spirit working those things out in your life? Do you see these things in your life? Because a natural person will not behave or act or be this way. Do you see the Spirit playing out in your life? What about Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, where Jesus is sharing those Beatitudes, and he's sharing this idea of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And he's sharing those things. It's a, it's a way that we can look at it and we can say, is this who I am in Christ? What about when he's asking us in Ephesians to take off the old person and put on the new is that what you look like? Are those the clothes that you have on? If you look to the first John, are there marks in your life? The whole book of first John, if you were coming to me this morning, you would say, David, I'm not sure whether I'm a Christian or not. David, I thought I was a Christian, but I'm questioning that. My advice to you would be read the book of first John because John tells us that he wrote that letter. He wrote those words so that we might know that we know Christ. And so then we just start looking at it. Do I do the things that a Christian does as according, you know, the way, the way John talks about it? Do, do, I, do I love others? Am I sensitive to God's word? Do I obey the commands of God? It's like this whole markers in 1 John where we can examine ourselves and look, is this who we are? What about Philippians 4, 8? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, if I, if I think about that thinking, Christ thinking, is that the kind of thinking that I have? You look to 1 Corinthians 13 and it describes love for us. Is this the kind of love that I have? You look to Hebrews 11 and you see faith. Is this the kind of faith that I have? We can keep going, right? There's all these places in Scripture where there are markers for us and there are invitations for us to examine ourselves. It is an imperative look to him. God commands it because our eternal destiny depends on it. This is an imperative examination, but I would say that secondly, this is an individual examination. Individual examination. Now, David, individual examination doesn't help your case for church because I can do this individually, right? That's not quite what I mean. Let me get to the third point. I'm not there yet, but 
let's just think about this for a moment as being an individual examination. And here's what I mean by individual. I can't stand here and look at anybody and tell whether you're right with the Lord or not. Now, one advantage that we have when we come to church by making ourselves accountable to others is, is that we're able to look and to see gifts in people's life. We're able to look and see that when we just observe their life, just, just because we have a familiarity with them, just because we have an acquaintance with them, and we observe their life, we're able to see sometimes the fruit of the Spirit enacted in their life. We're able to see gifts. We're able to see the love of Christ in them. We're able to see these things, right? But what I mean is, is that I can't really look and tell whether you everything's all right between you and Christ or not. Who's the only person who can say whether things are right with you and Christ? Notice in the verse how many times the word you and yourself comes up. Now, it's really stressed in the original language. In the original Greek, it's really stressed. But even in English, if we were to just peruse the verse, look at how many times it's there. Examine yourselves. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? See, it's it's there over and over again. There's a real emphasis on you because the truth is is that today, as we sit here in this room, no one can look at your heart and, and, and judge the fact as to whether you are right with Christ or not. But you can know that. You can know that. Now, I will tell you this. You can know that, but many people don't know that. Let me explain. First of all, I would say to you that appearances can be deceiving. So, I, that's one of the reasons that I can't look at your heart and know. But even to your own self, appearances can be deceiving in your own life as to whether you're right with him or not. Let's go back to the health, the tests, right? I'm thinking about a couple of guys right now, a couple of stories that I've heard. One story is about a man on a golf course playing 18 holes of golf. And then when that 18 holes of golf is finished... Begin to have shortness of breath, chest pains, all that stuff. Goes to the hospital. Another man, jogging. Jogging several miles, comes home, shortness of breath, chest pains, all that sort of stuff, right? Now, if you were to have seen them 20 minutes ago, they're, they're uh, chipping balls and putting, and they seem to be healthy, and they're running, looking like a picture of health out there, and everything seems to be good. But when that chest pain starts and they go to the hospital, the test there reveals a blockage that couldn't be seen by the naked eye. And those appearances can be really deceiving. They looked healthy. In fact, in the stories that I'm telling you, the golfer went to the hospital and got better. The runner fell over and collapsed and died. And you would have thought, Look how healthy the guy is. He runs every day. He's, he's, he's trim. He's fit. He lo everything looks to be in order. But appearances were deceiving. Those guys did not even know it about themselves. They didn't know they had a blockage. They were living life and doing their thing. And you see, here's the problem. It can involve you, but you may never even know it. He said, David, what do you mean? 
If the Bible says that before we come to Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that means that we don't really know what our spiritual condition is. We're like that guy. We're playing golf. We're jogging. We're living life. We're just bebopping through life doing our thing. And it's not even a concern to us. We don't even realize it. The only way that we ever know that there's an issue between us and God is but the Holy Spirit's conviction on our life. And he begins to reveal to us who we are in the light of who God is. And then it comes to our attention. But you see, there's a great many people that don't even really know who they are. They know about anything. You, you, you ask them about things that are happening in the news, they know it. You take them to trivia night, and they win. You, you ask them to show you things, they're an expert on what they do for a living and a lot more. And they know a lot about this world, but they know virtually nothing about their self. Because it's hidden from them. Well, David... What are you saying? You're saying that I might not even know whether things are right between me and the Lord or not? Mm, yeah. The Bible says that God doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And this morning, I believe that you could be here and he could open your eyes to who you are in light of him. He would cause us to see ourselves really and genuinely. We could have walked in here thinking that nothing was right. All appearances were deceiving. We think everything's right between us and the Lord. But then we read Scripture and the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and we realize, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Something's not right. Now listen, one of the reasons we don't do that is it's really easy to find the fault in other people and not in ourselves. Well, see there, now I'm not that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, see them? I, I know I got my problems, but let's just face it. We're not that guy. Ooh, I feel pretty good. I know that my arteries are only 90% blocked, but I mean, his are 100. So, you know, I'm good. This is a problem. This is a problem. The scripture points to it all the time, right? What business do we have talking about the splinter in that joker's eye when we got a log in ours? Mm. You see, if you think that coming to church is coming here so that we can look down our noses at everybody else because we're righteous and we're good and we're fine and we're looking for problems in other people so that we can whip them back into shape. And we go to work, we look down on our nose on those people that don't go to church and those people that don't follow Christ. That's what we're in it about. It's about feeling righteous and being righteous. Mm, that's not it at all. Because you see, the honest Christian is constantly examining themselves. And you know what they know? Who's the problem? <laughs> yeah, like we know that. A genuine, honest believer in Christ Jesus is walking with Jesus daily. So, they see the perfection of Christ and simultaneously they see the imperfection in themselves. 
They recognize the beauty of grace, that the salvation that has come to you is not because of something you've done. It's not because you're a good person or you've passed some test that somebody else has failed. The only reason that you are in Christ Jesus is because he has shown his grace into your life. He has changed you from the inside out. He has shown you who you are. He's revealed himself to you. You have repented and put all of your trust in him. I will never be righteous. I will never be good. I will never, I will never be anything apart from Christ. Remember what Paul said? He gives his whole resume, and then he said, I count all of these things as nothing. He says they are like dung, trash, refuse, waste. They're like nothing compared to what it is to just know Christ. Forget my spiritual resume. None of that matters. It's knowing him. That's that's of greatest importance. Listen to me. If you're here today and you don't know him, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter what role you're on. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. None of those things matter. All of those things fade away into nothing if you do not know Christ. That's, that's it. It's the only hope that we have. The Bible's very clear that salvation is not by works. There's nothing that you and I can do to boast about it. Nothing. It is by grace, through faith, that Christ saves us, and that alone. It's not a goodness that we have. The, the, the true Christian has no business looking down his nose at, nobody, at anybody else because the true Christian knows that all sinners, all are sinners, and have come short of the glory of God. That we're all, our righteousness, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's not one righteous, no, not even one of us. This is the only hope we have. It's an imperative examination. And it is an individual examination. But it is an integral examination. In other words, it is an essential part. What Paul is asking them to do here is he's saying, look, it's an essential part. It's essential for you. It is imperative for you. It's an integral part of your experience. But I think that when you find it in the light of all that we find in Scripture, it is an integral part of being a part of the family of God. It is an individual examination. You see, one day you're going to stand before him in judgment. One day we're all going to stand before him. And on that day, there will not be one person that is judged based on the salvation of someone else. God's not going to judge me based on what you have done with Jesus. He'll judge me based on what I've done with Jesus. Well, David, why should I let you into heaven? David, I'm, I'm holy and righteous and good. Why should I let you into my heaven, God says? Well, God, I'm a good guy. I mean, I'm nice to most people. I go to church. Uh, God, I was a pastor of a church somewhere. And, and look, if you were to take all my stuff and you would take all my good over here on this side and you were to dump it on the scale and all my bad over here on this side, my good would certainly outweigh my bad. I'm a good guy, God. So you should let me into heaven. Mm -mm. Nope, David. See, all are sinners. And, and all those things you've done, it's not by works. Mm -mm. Well, but God, you understand. See, my dad 
was a, my dad was a pastor, and my parents loved the Lord, and my grandparents loved the Lord. And you don't understand, God, there's a godly heritage in my home, and I come from a long line of Christians. Mm-mm. No, no, no. But, but you, where do you stand with me? But see, I was a part of that church down there. Mm. God's not interested. Lord, I am not holy and righteous and good, but he is. And I'm trusting in what he has done on the cross for me. It's the only thing that works. It's the only answer that works. I've put all, all my trust is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday's gone. That's gone. All my hope is in Jesus. That's it. That's all I have to bank on. And so it is an individual examination only of me because I will stand before him in judgment one day and I will be judged. Indiv- all of us will. But it is integral that we be a part of the family of God. Because while salvation is something that happens individually in our hearts, our faith is public. Our faith is seen. The baptism that happens today does not save a person. This is not magic water. There's nothing special about it. We turned on the faucet and it came out. It's it's just like it is anywhere else. not magic water. This does not save. This is the picture. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. And I have put my trust in Christ. I am publicly identifying with him. I've put all my trust in him. And I, I am following him with my life. And in the same way, the old sinful me has died and been buried. And I have been raised to new life in Christ. That water is just a picture. It's just a picture to publicly say, and that's really important. It's really important that, yes, salvation is something that happens individually, but our faith is public. And the model that's presented in Scripture calls us to individually covenant together as a body and serve him together. When we do that, this examination that happens, right, while it is an individual examination that happens, it's not that individual um, uh, examination does not happen simply in a bubble. Sometimes the examination that I need to do to myself, God uses somebody to say something to me. Because I'm a part of the family of God, someone says something to me, and it sparks something in me. I see something in another person that I don't see in myself. God uses iron to sharpen iron, and he uses a brother and sister in Christ to to encourage me, right? Like when I join together in the body of Christ, sometimes somebody will say to me, David, thank you for this. You did this, and that helped me, or you did this, and that encouraged me. And and David, I see this spiritual gift in you, and I'm thankful for that. I, I love how you've grown in this area. We may say that to people, and it's encouraging, right? But I also need a person to come alongside me and say, David, you say this, but you do this. I need that friend. I was telling the guys the other day, I had a teacher in high school. um, uh, Some some of y'all had the same teacher. Um, He uh, shaved head, enormous beard. Enormous, I mean, big old beard. And I remember the first time I went with him, we we did some things after school. I remember the first time I went with him to Taco Bell, he said, dude, you're going to have to tell me if I got cheese or lettuce, you know. (laughs) In my, in my beard. 
You know, it happens. You know, you help me out. You know, listen, part of the reason we need to come to church is I need Heath to say, dude, you got some cheese and lettuce in your beard. You got to clean that out. You say that this is not right. You say this, but you do. Now, listen, we don't come together and beat each other up. The idea is not we come and, you know, you get angry at each other. That's not what's happening there, right? Heath, if you're going to say that to me, let's, I, I'm assuming that you love me and you're going to tell me as a brother, not as, you know, an enemy, right? And anytime you find it in Scripture, you find what is essentially church discipline, that we're joining together and we're doing that so that we can be encouraged to examine ourselves. I'm fixing to give you a whole lot of verses together. But note what these verses say. When you find them in Scripture, there is this, when we see these things in each other, there is this call to change where as a body of Christ, we are accountable to each other. And in that accountability, we, we convict each other. We, we, we allow the Holy Spirit to use us to speak to a brother about something else. Look at these verses. This is in Titus 1 in verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore, Rebuke them sharply. Now, that doesn't sound fun. That's what it says. Rebuke them sharply that they may feel really bad about themselves and never come back to church. Rebuke them sharply that they may turn their back on Christ and say Christians are hypocrites. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. James 5 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul and cover, uh, uh, save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The idea that we are accountable to each other and in doing so, we speak truth to each other in love, this is not about beating each other up. What's the idea? It's the same idea that we have at a six-month checkup. It's the same idea why we have a spelling test on Friday. It's the same idea. There's this accountability. Am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I developing? Am I learning? Am I walking with Christ as I should? And, and I have outside observers help me in my walk with him. Now listen, sometimes in Scripture... There is this idea that a person, we've mentioned it already in this series, but we haven't really looked at the verses, that church in Scripture is, seems to be a formal thing. It seems to be a formal thing that people are added to and excluded from. But the exclusion is never with the attitude or the means of, of beating a person up. Look at these verses. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Stop right there. Now, that's a command nobody follows. If we, did, if we never even did the rest of it, what if we just did that? You know what I mean? We didn't go to somebody else. We went to them. So that's what we do. We go tell somebody else, right? I grab it, Leanne. I say, can you believe what Dan did? Can you believe, right? Mm -mm. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens, you've gained a brother. You drop it and it's done. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witnesses. 
It doesn't become a he said, she said, because people know what was said. They were there. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That sounds harsh, David. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 5, 13. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Oof. He's speaking about the church. Do you notice what that verse is saying? What that verse is saying is, don't condemn or worry about the behavior of people that don't know Christ. If they don't know Christ, they're lost, and they're going to behave like a person that doesn't know Christ. I mean, they're, they're not, this is not their worldview, so don't expect them to behave like this is their worldview, right? But if they claim Christ and they are a part of the body and yet they continue to live in disobedience, purge the evil from among you. Titus 3, 10. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. David, that seems really harsh. I don't think we should do that. I think that whatever people do, we as a church should love them and just nurture them along. Okay. Well, next week, I have plans to get really drunk and high and put those pictures all over social media. And I'm going to run around on Amy. And I'm going to get arrested two or three times. Is it good? It's, I mean, it's odd if I'm still your pastor, right? Like, no problems there, right? There's probably going to be a discussion. Why? Why? Because I'm the pastor of this church. I represent this church. A lot of times, what people think about Center Grove is what they think about me. Guess what? Guess what? You attend Center Grove. You, are, you go to work and people say, what would you do this? Oh, I went to Center Grove. I go to Center Grove. Guess what? What they think about you is what they think about this church. They don't know me. They don't know that joker over there and this sister over here. But what they do know is they know you. It matters what we do. And if we, don't exa if we never examine ourselves, we never kind of have an outside person look at us, then what we have is we have... Lost people who need Jesus observing us all the time. And if they don't see Jesus in us, that not only runs down your name and runs down my name and runs down this church's name, it runs down Christ's name. You see, the idea here is, is that I, mean, I have people tell me that all the time. You don't, even, you don't even know. I have people say, oh, well, what do you do for them? I'm a pastor at synagogue. Oh, does so-and-so go over there? Now, when they ask that question, <laughs> sometimes I already know what they think about me. I already know. <laughs> I, I will say, I've never, sometimes I want to say, yeah, yeah, but, 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 you know, that's not how I answer. Um, uh, I try to be tactful and right when I do that. But the idea is, is that we all are a reflection of each other. Are, is our salvation an, an individual thing between us and the Lord? Yes. Will we stand before him and judge? Yes. But we have individually covenanted together to love and serve him and, and be committed to him and to each other. And so these passages of Scripture are saying the purity of this body needs to be maintained so that the world does not get the wrong impression of this body. Because frankly, if there's a whole group of people here 
who only say they follow Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. The world is seeing our behavior, and we're not representing Christ. We're representing something else. Let me read you a few more verses. Because all of these verses, those that I just read that seem harsh, when you look at what the Bible says on a whole subject, this is really important to do. All the time, this kind of thing, these kinds of acts, all church discipline, all of the accountability that we have against to each other, I never look at my brother and I point out his flaws in order to harm him or hurt him. The whole idea of this process is about restoration. Look at these verses. Galatians 6 and 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Keep reading because it gets better. And keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Because the thing that Heath would look at me and say, you got cheese and lettuce in your beard? He's capable of having cheese and lettuce in his beard too. We're, we're all in the same boat in that regard. 2 Corinthians 2. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. This idea of excluding a person is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for that brother, for that sister. See, we are connected as a body of believers. And when we join with a local church, we invite each other to have this accountability over each other because we're all in this together. And individually, individually, our salvation is between us and the Lord. But because we have covenanted together and because there is this command to assemble and worship, the reputation of the assembly requires that we hold each other accountable. And we're always pointing to this. It's never, well, you did this, and I think you shouldn't have done that. No, no, no. That's not really what Scripture says. Scripture says this. It's a wonderful way that we grow and we mature and we develop. I'll never forget... <clears throat> that I was at a Bible study some years ago. And some of you were in that same Bible study with me. And, um, and the person that was leading that Bible study said, I, I think that tonight we should all quote Psalm 1 together and, and do that as we close. I, I didn't know Psalm 1. And, and, and as we started doing that, I knew some of it because, you know, some of it was familiar to me. But as we started doing that, everybody in the room, except for me, was quoting Psalm 1. I, I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Now, that, that had no bearing on my, necessarily my relationship with Jesus or my, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's not that a person's a, a, a better Christian than somebody else if they know Psalm 1. But I felt convicted about that. In that moment, I didn't feel like somebody had put me on the spot. Nobody was pointing and laughing, and it wasn't a big deal. But I remember leaving that night, and I remember saying to myself, 
You've memorized some scripture, but scripture memorization is not as important to you as it should be. You should hide God's word in your heart, and you don't. And that doesn't need to happen to you again. Now, if somebody said, let's all quote, you know, Exodus 13 together, I couldn't do that, right? Because I hadn't been in a Bible study where everybody quoted that together. But that night, they quoted Psalm 1, and so I determined in my heart that I would be able to recite Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. For his delight will be on the law of the Lord, and on it he will meditate day and night. And he will be like a tree that's planted by the waters. It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. It is not so with the wicked. They are like the chaff that's driven away by the wind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You see, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, they, in a, without even realizing it, in a loving way, were prompting me to grow and challenge a laziness in my own Christian walk. You see, if you and I were to go to the doctor with anything that was wrong, and they were to tell us, this is the path forward, this is a problem, we found it, this is how to fix it. If we had symptoms, we might want the cure. Let me say to you today, there's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced the symptoms of sin. It affects all of us. The question I have for you this morning is, have you experienced the cure? Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find more resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ, check out our website at rootedandresolved.org.